villagers sold their land off cheap, and nothing more was heard of the fools who had left the protection of the city walls to make for the woods. It was rumored that some, driven by desperation, commended themselves to God and hurled themselves into the ravines. While the older folks shut themselves in their homes and waited for a miracle, the little ones, ignoring the warnings of their elders, continued to meet at the dung hills outside the walls to search for rats to roast. When they caught one, they celebrated with songs and cries of jubilation, parading down the main street with their quarry held up high. After two weeks, dead bodies peppered the streets of the city. The more fortunate dead were buried in the small cemetery beside the timber structure of St. Adela's church, but volunteers soon gave up, letting bodies lay scattered like a plague along the watercourses. Some of the corpses swelled like toads, but usually the rats would devour them before then. Many children had grown weak, and their mothers despaired as they searched in vain for something besides a little water to put on the table. The stench of dead bodies permeated the city, as did the mournful ringing of the cathedral bells. Fortunately, Teresa still had work in the Count Ship's cathedral, where she had taken shelter the morning of the deluge. The cathedral had a meager yet steady need for workers. Lay people worked in the diocesan workshops in return for a weekly ration of grain. The few women in service were there either to pleasure the men or toil in the kitchens. But Teresa had found work in the parchment maker's workshop, a job she had mixed feelings about. Yes, she had to suffer the crude stares of the leather workers, the comments about her breasts, and the men brushing past her with varying degrees of blatancy. But the reward for these annoyances came when... At the end of the day, she was left alone with the parchments. Then she would stack the pages that had arrived from the scriptorium, and instead of stitching the quinternians, she would enjoy a few moments to read. Teresa took compensation for her hard work from the tales told in the polyptics and patristic texts. One day she knew her skills would be put to use for more than just baking cakes and washing pots. Her father, Gorgias, applied his trade as a scribe at the Episcopal Scriptorium, close to the workshop where she worked as an apprentice. Teresa had assumed the position thanks to the misfortune of Ferruccio, the previous apprentice, who had blighted his future in a moment of carelessness by severing the tendons in his hand. That was when her father put her forward to replace him. However, from the beginning, Corna, the master parchment maker, opposed her appointment on the basis of women's changeable natures, their inclination toward quarreling and gossip, their inability to bear heavy loads, and the frequency of their menstruation. All of this, in his view, was incompatible with a role that required wisdom and dexterity in equal measure. And yet Teresa could read and write fluently, a skill of unquestionable value in a place where there was too much muscle and not enough intellectual talent. It was thanks to her skill and the intercession of the Count that she had been awarded the post. When Rutgarda first found out about Teresa's appointment, she was up in arms. If Teresa had been feeble-minded or sickly, she might have understood the decision. But she was an attractive young woman, perhaps a little skinny for the tastes of Frankish boys, but with wide hips and generous breasts, not to mention a full set of teeth, as white as they come. Anyone else in her position would have sought a good husband to knock her up and keep her. But no, Teresa had to throw away her youth, shut away in some old priest's workshop, 
working on pointless priestly things and enduring the idle gossip of the priest's women. And worst of all, Rutgarda was certain that the person responsible for all of this was none other than Teresa's father. In the end, the girl had succumbed to Gorgias's absurd ideas. His head was always stuck in the past, yearning for his native Byzantium, and he rattled on about the benefits of knowledge and the greatness of the ancient writers, as if those wise men could put food on his table. The years would go by, Rutgarda thought, and one day, all of a sudden her stepdaughter would find herself with sagging flesh and bare gums. Then she would regret that she had not found a man to feed and protect her. On the second to last Friday of November, Teresa woke earlier than usual. She used to rise before the sun to sweep the animal pen and take care of the hens, but for some time there had been no food to give them and no chickens to feed.